to nine world. And the truth of the matter is when we begin to share the gospel with someone, we start off telling them that they're a sinner. And the gospel can be very offensive in that that time of sharing it. I don't know about you, I don't like when people tell me I'm doing wrong. It's that old pride nature, I guess. But the truth is, we are all sinners, aren't we? Aren't you glad that the gospel gets better from there on out, though? The gospel teaches us that there is a God in heaven that loved us so much that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, He showed us mercy, didn't He? Truth is, if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be sitting here this morning. God showed us great mercy. And then to make it better than that, He showed us His grace. Not only did He forgive us of our sins, but He adopted us into His family. I'm a child of the King this morning. And so are you. You've trusted Christ as your Savior, the King of all kings, as your heavenly Father. And Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4, But my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The fact that the Gospel gives us the privilege to be called the sons and daughters of God. To know that we are related to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am so grateful for the gospel story. I'll tell you, it it ought to be something that we ought to be thrilled that we have the privilege to share. I was talking to a friend of mine, his name is Wayne Corfman, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, uh, down in Florida. And several years ago, he lost his wife, Catherine. Brother Wayne's, I think, 82 or so this year. And... um, we were sitting in his apartment one night, and he teared up and just was sharing me with me memories of his wife. And then he got talking about God. And I mean, we went on for about 10 or 15 minutes, and he said, Brother Greg, he said, I've learned something over the years. He said, you're never embarrassed to talk about who you love. And I thought, boy, if we as Christians could ever get a hold of that, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We've got a world out there that doesn't even know that they're lost, many of them. A world that really despises Christ, despises any form of gospel being showed to them, and they'll claim that they are offended if somebody shares it with them. But I've found over the years that God's Word is powerful. And it's quick and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Precious Lamb of glory. How in the world can we not take to a lost and dying world the greatest news they've ever heard in their life? That though they're headed to hell, they have an opportunity to be headed to heaven. And I'll tell you, I hope we get excited about sharing the gospel with people. There certainly is a great need, isn't there? Time is short. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, we just saw a hurricane that flooded worse than anything we've ever seen over in Texas. And Friday, they had a magnitude 8 earthquake in Mexico. We're seeing a hurricane that 
has broken every record that there is about recorded hurricanes coming into Florida today. Talks of nuclear wars going on like crazy. Can I tell you, my friend, Christ is coming soon. And it ought to cause us to, number one, make sure we're ready. Have you been saved this morning? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you never have, now's the time. Now's the time. And if you're a Christian today, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? Are you ready to stand before Him and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. We have a great work in front of us. And a short time to get it done. And oh, that God would use us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God's Holy Spirit would fill us with His power like He did years ago in some of the great revivals? That when we would come in contact with folks around us just by the power of God resting on our lives, we would be able to, with boldness, declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God would do His work in the hearts of that lost soul. Oh, I long for that. I believe He can still do it. Amen? God hasn't changed. He's not weakened. He's not nervous. He's not sitting in heaven biting His nails. God knows exactly what's going on. He's still in control. And as much as He was able to empower and enable and direct men of old, He's able to do it to you and I today. And, uh, boy, I tell you, we're supposed to be in Nehemiah chapter 3 if we get there this morning. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn there. But tomorrow marks the anniversary of 9-11. And uh, great marks of heroism are etched into the history books and into our minds. Some of us watching the news in the days and weeks following and hearing of stories. Men and women who would rush towards certain death to save a few lives. We look at them and say how heroic and how noble. And can I tell you this, as God's people, our world is experiencing a spiritual 9-11. And they're in need of some heroes to rush towards them. Try to save a few. One year after 9-11 happened, I was listening to the radio. Dr. James Dobson was interviewing some of the survivors that had been in the towers. And one lady, in uh, passing through the, the channels on the radio, one lady was being interviewed at the time. And I was struck by some of the things that she had said for a few moments. And so I stayed on it and listened to it as she told her story. She had been up on about the 43rd, I think, or 46th floor or something when the Attacks took place, and as many others did, she began to go down the stairs, and it took her a while to get down. And She got down to the main level where all the doors would empty out onto the streets, and she began to run towards the doors, and a guard was standing there and was turning people back and saying, you can't get out this way. And she noticed that there were piles of debris against the doors, and the doors weren't able to be opened. And he was directing them down a few flights to where they could get out through a garage and go up that way. She finally got to a door where she could leave, and debris was falling off of the building, 
and some of the folks that were running from the building were being struck with the debris and being injured critically or killed. And one of the police officers standing there at the door said, when you think you can make it, just run. And uh, she began to run. And in her interview, she said, I was climbing over piles of debris, praying that God would allow me to survive. She said, I looked over. And I saw a man several piles over who had been blinded from the fuel of the airplanes that had fallen on him and burned him. And she said, I watched in horror as he was not running away from the building, but that he was running towards the building. And she said, I stopped on top of that pile. And she said, I cried as loud as I could. Sir, you're going the wrong way. And she said, in all the noise and the chaos, he couldn't hear me. She said, I stood there crying and hollering for him to turn around and go the other direction. And I sat there as I listened to that interview. And I thought, that's what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian. Finding folks that are heading the wrong way. That are plunging to a devil's hell without the gospel. And to cry out, you're going the wrong way. I believe we live in a day and age where we are so accustomed to our manner of life that we have forgotten to be compassionate and burdened for the lost. We no longer cry to those that are lost that they're going the wrong way. There's time to go out and pass out tracts or to that God gives us opportunity to share the gospel. We tend to find some other reason why we cannot. We look back with great thankfulness to those that gave their lives saving others during something as horrific as 9-11. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of God's people they gave their lives trying to save others? Trying to save others. It may not be well recognized on this life and in this earth. But there will be a God in heaven one day that we will stand before. That he will look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We've been given a great task. I read a book by Dr. Charles Keene. Entitled, Thinking Outside the Box. The idea being that we need to rethink how we evangelize and how we share the gospel with people. There's over seven and a half billion people in the world today now, or right about seven and a half billion people. Almost two thirds of them have not even heard the gospel one time, they don't even have a Bible in their language. And yet we spend a lot of money and time and energy in our missions work through our churches, helping and supporting missionaries 
in countries where the gospel already is. I wonder what it would be like if we could get a renewed vision of what God could do through us to reach a lost and dying world. There's something I thought as a kid when I would hear the Great Commission was that we were to go into all the world and reach, preach the gospel to every creature. And my thought was this, that sometime in the history of man, we need to be able to accomplish this throughout all the thousands of years of history of mankind. I was reading this book by Dr. Keene, and he made this statement. He said, God intended that commission to be filled in every, in, in every generation. Each generation is responsible to reach the entire world during that generation. And how many of you this morning would agree with me that God never commands us to do anything that He does not enable us to do? Would you agree with me on that? And if God has commanded for us to reach the world with the gospel, don't you think He would enable us to do it? What's it going to take? It's going to take some yielded folks. It's going to take some folks that will stand on the heaps of this world and cry out, Sir, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Not with the mean spirit. There's been enough of that over the years. With a heart of love and compassion for them. And I want to challenge you. We, we get an opportunity tomorrow to reflect and to think about a horrible event that took place in our country's history, and yet the truth of the matter is this is going on every day in Christendom. People are dying, going to hell every single day by the thousands without Christ. It's time we get serious about it. It's time that we get to the place in our lives where we say, I'm going to spend my life. I'm going to give my life. To reach the gospel to the world. To go out in the highways and hedges, do everything I can to reach them. Well, that's not the message this morning. But uh, I've gotten it off of my heart this morning. So let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 and see what the Lord has for us today. Nehemiah chapter 3. We've been uh, studying the book of Nehemiah, a tremendous book. The thing that encourages me about Nehemiah is that he was an ordinary man. There was nothing extraordinary about him. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a big-name ruler or somebody with influence. He was simply the king's cupbearer, a servant in the king's household. And yet God did extraordinary things through him. And that gives us hope, doesn't it? That we have an extraordinary God that can do extraordinary things through you and I, even if we're just ordinary. But one of the key things and the secrets to Nehemiah is that he had the right focus on things. He had the right focus on things. Years ago, we had some folks come into our house to visit, and my wife knew about it. And she spent the day cleaning the house, as many women do. And uh, I remember vacuuming, washing windows, and... You know how that goes. And I said, honey, you know, they they know we live at this house. You know, it doesn't have to be pristine. But she wanted it spotless. I mean, it had to be spotless. And 
I thought of that, and I thought, you know, how many times women will do that? They'll clean the house and everything. But could you imagine if you're having some company come over and you cleaned your house that way and everything was just spotless? And suppose you're sitting in the living room and something happens outside the house that draws everybody's attention and you all look outside through the front windows of the living room and everybody in the house sees what's going on outside except for the lady of the house that did the cleaning. She doesn't see what's going on outside. She sees the smudge on the window that she forgot to get. They were all looking the same way and they all had the same intent and the same purpose in mind. But some people saw one thing and some people saw another thing. And the reason was it depended on where their focus was. Can I tell you this, that we can all go through circumstances and times of God sending things our way and asking us to do certain things. And the truth of the matter is we must have a right focus. Some people look at circumstances and they look at the problems and the lack of resources and the lack of strength and wisdom and knowledge to succeed and to get through those trying times And other people look at those circumstances and they see a God that will supply everything that they need and will direct and will guide them through it. Nehemiah is one of these men that knows where his strength is. His eye affects his heart. He's grieved about the condition of Jerusalem and he prays to the God of heaven. And he weeps for his nation and he begs for God to forgive their sin. And he begs for God to forgive the sin of himself and the sin of his father's household. And God begins to do a work in him. He put Nehemiah in just this place for such this time, just this time. And King Artaxerxes has given him great uh, liberty to go and to accomplish this work that God has put on his heart. Last week we finished studying chapter number 2 as we find Nehemiah finally at Jerusalem. And he goes up with a few men at night to view the gates. And by the way, let me just say this. There's a lot of times when we do God's work, there's not a whole lot of people to join us. There may just be a handful. But can I tell you this? God can work through many or through few. It doesn't take a whole lot. Ask Gideon about that. Just takes a few that are willing to be used by God. They go up at night, they view the gates, and one of the things we found last week was that they get to a point where the beast under him could not pass because of all the rubbish. And sometimes you have to clear all the rubbish out of the life before you can do something for the Lord, don't you? He comes back and he meets with the people and he lays a vision and a view of what God would have them to do out to the people in verses 17 and following. The Bible says that the people had a mind to work. They strengthened their hands for this good work. By the way, any work we do for the Lord is always a good work. They prepared themselves. They got themselves ready for it. But there were some people that didn't like it. We find that there was a character by the name of Sanballat, another friend of his named Tobiah, and another one named Gershom. They all come together and they're upset. I mean, they are fuming at the mouth. They're frothing. They're upset. They're uh, just hateful about this thing. And they can't believe that somebody has come to try to help the welfare of the children of Israel. And can I tell you this? Satan is out there. And he's going to ridicule and he's going to slander and he's going to laugh us to scorn. and He's going to pressure us if we take an interest in the souls of lost men. 
What are we going to do in the face of adversity? Nehemiah was not only a man of prayer, as we found in chapter 1, but he's a man of perseverance in chapter number 2, as he does not let these men cause him to be distracted from the task that God has given for him to do. We find, as we get to verse number 19, that these folks laughed them to scorn and despised them. And they accused him of being a rebel against the king. Now, it's very easy, and we left the message last week with this thought. It would have been very easy for Nehemiah to pull the letters from the king out of his pocket, wouldn't it? Remember, he's got letters from the king, doesn't he? Permission to go. In fact, even protection from the king. And even the king giving him resources from the king's forests. It would have been very easy for Nehemiah to say, My reliance for protection is in the authority of the king Artaxerxes. But the truth is, he gets to verse number 20. He doesn't even mention the king, does he? Well, maybe he does. He mentions the king of kings. Because he gets to verse 20, he says, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Where is our defense? Is it in the laws and the liberties of our government here in the United States of America? No. Our defense is in the God of heaven. Where is our authority to do what we're supposed to do in this work that we've been given to do? Is it in the the laws and the civil governments that we apply by? No. Our authority is in the God of heaven. What about the provision? Is Is it up to the government to supply what's needed for our churches and for us as Christians to do the work that God's called us to do? No. Depends on the God of heaven and Him alone. The sooner we can learn that everything about our lives, everything about the work that we do for Him, is all about God. It's not about us. It's not about our legal systems. It's not even about our church. It's about the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. The Bible says of Christ, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Can I tell you this? The greatest privilege that we have in this world is to lift high the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Requires some things of us. Requires a testimony that is above reproach. The Bible words it this way, one that becometh the gospel of Christ. It's one that illustrates it. It's one that is in line with the Scripture. The Bible teaches us that the church is the pillar and the ground upon which the truth rests upon. Oh, we've got this great privilege. And Nehemiah does not rely upon the king Artaxerxes for all of these things, but he relies upon God himself. We've got a great task and a great work to be done. We've got to reach this entire generation before I die. Every person in this world needs to hear the gospel in this generation before I die. And we look at that and we say, that is impossible. And it is with men. But with God, all things are possible, aren't they? Some people may look at that and say, Brother Greg, you're dreaming. No, I think we're being obedient. To trust God to meet the needs. He wasn't trusting in the King. He was trusting in the God of heaven. These men came after him. What sustained him? What kept him going? The authority of the king? No. The good hand of his God upon him. He was ridiculed. He was pressured. In a few moments here in chapter 3, we'll find he was threatened. In chapter 4, we get into it. 
What kept him going in the face of adversity? The God of heaven. We're not going to take time to read the entire chapter 3. Chapter 3 is basically a record of each of the folks that were assigned to build a portion of the wall. We're going to read a few of those very quickly. And it is two minutes till time to go. Well, ten minutes till time to go. We've got a new clock back there I can finally see. Let's look at verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate and they sanctified it. And they set up the doors of it. Even under the tower of Mia, they sanctified it under the tower of Hanel. Let me just stop and say this about verse number 1. It starts with leadership. Somebody said it this way one time, everything rises and falls on leadership. And it starts here with the high priest. The high priest comes, Elishib, and he rises up, and the Bible says, with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. And I want you to notice this in verse number 1. If you have a pen, you ought to underline this phrase. They sanctified it. Now, this is not a word we use in normal everyday conversation in the English language. But the word sanctified means literally to be set apart. It was something that was designated for a specific purpose. These these fellows here are rebuilding what's called the sheep gate. The sheep gate was where they would bring the sacrificial lambs to and from the temple. And it was sanctified, it was set apart, it was made holy for the, the purpose that it was intended for. And we find as we go down through chapter number 3, and you can take time to read it this afternoon if you would like to, that there are folks one after another that are set up to build a portion of the wall. And each of them has a specific purpose and a specific task. And I'll tell you one of the great things that I find in chapter number 3 is this, that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And my plan is not the same as your plan. And your plan is not the same as the person sitting next to you. But God has a plan, and let me just say this, a work for every one of us. Lest we come to a church and we think, well, it's all about the music, and it's all about the, the, uh, the praise band that gets up on the platform, or it's all about some entertaining thing, or it's all about the programs of the church. Can I tell you this? It's not about that at all. It's about coming and spending time worshiping God first and foremost that our relationship with Him is right. And then secondly, it's to sharpen the axe. It's to cause us to be well trained and well equipped that we can accomplish to God's glory the work that He's given for us to do. And every single one of us has a job. And if even one of us fails in our job, there's a gap in the wall. There's a gate that didn't get built. We get to the end of chapter number 3. And we get to chapter number 4. And the Bible says this in verse number 1. But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. You can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. These feeble attempts of these Israelites to do the work that God's called them to do. Who do they think they are? 
That, that, that wall right there, if a fox goes up, he'll knock it over. The truth of the matter is, if any one of us fails to do the work God's given us to do, there's a gap in the wall, isn't there? It would allow the enemy to be accurate in their assessment that if a fox went up, it would knock down the wall. We've all been given something to do by God. I can't tell you what it is that God has for you to do. Only He can tell you that. But can I tell you this? Let's be sensitive to it. Let's be yielded to it. I love this in Scripture. When Samuel was in the temple, remember being raised by Eli? His mother Hannah had given him back to God at eight years of age. And God calls Samuel one night, doesn't he? He says, Samuel. Samuel runs to Eli and thinks it's Eli. And he goes and says, you called? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed and later on he hears, Samuel. He goes back to Eli and Eli, you called me? I didn't call you. And Eli at this time, his wheels are turning. He's thinking, maybe it's God calling him. He said, Samuel, next time you hear it, say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Samuel! And Samuel says, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You know what Samuel was saying? Lord, it doesn't matter what you're getting ready to ask me. My answer is already yes. Because you're the Lord and I'm the servant. You remember when God spoke to Abraham? Abraham! And Abraham said, here am I. Lord, it doesn't matter what you are going to say now. My answer is already yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could live in such a way that when God called, the answer was already determined? Well, Greg, you don't even know what he's going to say yet. It doesn't matter. Because he's the Lord. And I'm the servant. And by the way, when He calls you, it doesn't matter what He asks. Because He's the Lord. And you're the servant. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Isaiah, in chapter 6, sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees God in such an amazing way. I had a fellow say this. Two things will change your life. He told me this when I was in college. He said, when you see God as He really is, and when you see yourself the way that God sees you. He said, if you'll ever see those two things, it'll change your life. And Isaiah saw God as He really was, and then as he was standing in the presence of God, he couldn't even speak, the Bible says. He said, woe unto me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw himself the way God saw him, didn't he? The angel came with tongs and got a coal from off of the altar and touched his lips and he said, speak. He said his lips had been purified and Isaiah said this, and I love it. The Lord said, who shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Nehemiah is an ordinary man who said, Lord, here am I, 
Send me. I can't do it on my own, but I can do it through you. These men are giving them a difficult time. They're criticizing them. In verse number 3, now Tobiah the Am- of chapter 4, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. And I want you to notice this in verse 4, and we'll be done. Here, O oh our God, for we are despised. Is this a surprise to us at this point? That the first response Nehemiah has in face of opposition, the first thing that Nehemiah does when he's ridiculed for doing God's work is turn to God in prayer. Why is it that you and I many times make prayer an afterthought? We wait until the problem is there and we get to the place where we have nowhere else to turn but God. And then we pray. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we could get to the place where before that happened we prayed? Where before that happened we said, Lord, I want you to guide my steps today. Give me wisdom. If trials come my way, then Lord, help me to have faith to trust in you. If needs arise, Lord, help me to trust that you'll meet those needs. I'm often brought to great conviction when I read of the lives of the disciples in Christ's earthly ministry. Here are men that are walking shoulder to shoulder with the Lord Jesus Christ. They hear His teaching. They see the miracles firsthand. And Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water in the midst of a storm and begins to sink. And you and I read it thousands of years later and say, oh man, oh Peter, he just didn't have any faith. I'll tell you what, if I'd been in that boat, I don't think I'd have got out of the boat. And God rebukes them. Christ rebukes them and says, oh ye of little faith. And I have to ask myself this question so often. If Peter's faith was little, what is mine? What is mine? If these men went to their martyr's death, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and with praise to God on their lips, willingly, and their faith was small, what is mine like? Nehemiah knows where to turn during the face of opposition and persecution. The first thing he does is begin to pray. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. I want you to notice this. So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Didn't matter what they said. Didn't matter if they were ridiculed. Didn't matter if they were persecuted. We're going to build a wall. If we're going to do a work for God at Keith Heights Baptist Church, if we're going to win people to Christ, I'll tell you, it's going to be a hard, long-fought battle. There will come persecution. 
Some from within, some from without. But can I say this? So build we the wall. Let's just keep our hand to the task. You say, Brother Greg, how do we do that? We keep our focus in the right place. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not some critical member of the church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that we could learn to trust in Him. Wouldn't it be amazing? I I, I long for it in my life. I wish I could get there to where I had such absolute faith in God that there was never any anxiety in my life. But that old flesh nature likes to rear its head up, doesn't it? We begin to question God. Lord, I know you can do it, but, well, this is a big problem here. It's amazing that God's never seen a big problem, has He? Never seen one. We just need to have faith in Him. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. That's the kind of God that loved you and died on a cross for your sins. And He doesn't make it hard. He doesn't make you live a certain way to be saved. He doesn't make you earn your way to heaven or pay for it in some way. It's already been paid for. He simply wants to give it to you. And all you have to do is put your faith and your trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting it alone to get you to heaven. That's it. To where if Christ fails... We're lost. That's the kind of faith it takes. But I am depending on nothing but Him. We get to that point, we make that decision, Lord, I'm trusting nothing but You. The shed blood on Calvary to cover my sin. God gives us all of the great riches of His glory. We get to become a child of His. We get our sins forgiven. And we get a home in heaven for all of eternity. Let's stand together, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, what a blessing it is. What a challenge it is to our hearts and our lives. Father, this great, great story of Nehemiah is for no other reason, I believe, than to teach us that You can do amazing things, supernatural things, extraordinary things through ordinary people. But, Father, we've got to have the right focus. And I hope and I pray that you would help to draw my heart and my eyes of faith closer to you each and every day. That there would be less anxiety, that there would be more trust and more faith in you. Father, that you would give leading and direction and that I would be sensitive to it. And Father, for those that are gathered here today that are Christians, that have trusted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray the same for them. That You would give wisdom and guidance. That You would help us to have a renewed revival in our hearts of a passion for You. Lord, that we could learn to love You with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds. Father, that You would be the utmost priority in our hearts, in our lives. That You would be all that our life was all about. Brother Keith sang it earlier in the service. 
as we turn our eyes upon You and look full in Your wonderful face, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of Your glory and grace. Father, I long for that, and I pray that You would help us all to long for it today. To have a love for You, to have a love for lost souls, that You would embolden us and strengthen us and empower us to do Your work. That we would worship You, that our walk and our relationship with You would be of utmost priority, that it would be the lifeblood of our Christian faith. And then that we would be faithful to do as You've called us to do, each of us, the plan, the purpose that You've put us on this earth for. If there's someone here this morning, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, I pray that You would allow Your Holy Spirit to bring conviction upon them. Lord, help them not to leave this place without knowing that they're on their way to heaven. Father, life is very short and time is running out. Hell is too real and too hot to take a chance on having more time. So, Father, if there's someone here today that's lost and does not know you as their Savior, I pray that you'd help them to come forward during the invitation time and allow us to take your word and show them how they can be saved today. Lord, I promise we won't embarrass them in any way. I promise that we would rejoice with them. We long for them to be saved. I pray that you'd help them to get that matter settled today before it's too late. Bless the invitation time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, Miss Evelyn will begin playing a hymn of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart today, we'd like to give you opportunity to come to the altar. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be glad to. We have folks here in the front that can pray with you. If you'd just like to come alone, that's fine too. Do business with God. But if God's spoken to your heart today, whether you're a Christian or whether you're lost this morning and need to get that matter settled, whatever God's laid on your heart today, would you come as Miss Evelyn begins to play? Thank you. 